Section 18 of the Argonautica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius. Translated by R. C. Seaton. Section 18. Book 4. Part 5. Now dawn returning with her beams divine scattered the gloomy night through the sky, and the island beaches laughed out, and the paths over the plains far off, drenched with dew, and there was a din in the streets. The people were astir throughout the city, and far away the Colchians were astir at the bounds of the Isle of Macris, and straight away to them went Alcinous, by reason of his covenant, to declare his purpose concerning the maiden, and in his hand he held a golden staff, his staff of justice, whereby the people had righteous judgments meted out to them throughout the city. And with him, in order due and arrayed in their harness of war, went marching, band by band, the chiefs of the Phaeacians. And from the towers came forth the women in crowds to gaze upon the heroes, and the country folk came to meet them, when they heard the news, for Hera had sent forth a true report. And one led the chosen ram of his flock, and another a heifer that had never toiled, and others set hard by jars of wine for mixing, and the smoke of sacrifice leapt up far away, and women bore fine linen, the fruit of much toil, as women will, and gifts of gold and varied ornaments as well such as are brought to newly wedded brides. And they marvelled when they saw the shapely forms and beauty of the gallant heroes, and among them the sons of Agorus, oft beating the ground with gleaming sandal, to the time of this loud-ringing lyre and song. And all the nymphs together, whenever he recalled the marriage, uplifted the lovely bridal chant. And at times again they sang alone as they circled in the dance, Hera, in thy honour, for it was thou that didst put into the heart of Arete to proclaim the wise words of Alcinous, and as soon as he had uttered the decree of his righteous judgment, and the completion of the marriage had been proclaimed, he took care that thus it should abide fixed, and no deadly fear touched him, nor Aetes's grief wrath, but he kept his judgment fast bound by unbroken oaths, so, when the Colchians learnt that they were beseeching in vain, and he bade them either observe his judgments or hold his ships away from his harbours and land, then they began to dread the threats of their own king and besought Alcinous to receive them as comrades. And there in the island long time they dwelt with the Phaeacians, until in the course of years the Bacchiadae, a race sprung from Ephyra, settled among them and the Colchians passed to an island opposite, and thence they were destined to reach the Ceronian hills of the Abantes, and the Nestaeans, and Oricum. But all this was fulfilled after long ages had passed, and still the altars which Medea built on the spot sacred to Apollo, god of shepherds, receive yearly sacrifices in honour of the fates and the nymphs. And when the Minii departed, many gifts of friendship did Alcinous bestow, and many Ariti. 
Moreover, she gave Medea twelve Phaeacian handmaids from the palace to bear her company, and on the seventh day they left Drepani, and at dawn came a fresh breeze from Zeus, and onward they sped, borne along by the wind's breath. Howbeit not yet was it ordained for the heroes to set foot on Achaia, until they had toiled even in the furthest bounds of Libya. Now had they left behind the gulf named after the Ambracians, now with sails widespread the land of the Curites, and next in order the narrow islands of the Echinades, and the land of Pelops was just described. Even then a baleful blast of the north wind seized them in mid-course, and swept them towards the Libyan sea nine nights and as many days, until they came far within Syrtis, wherefrom is no return for ships, when they are forced into that gulf. For on every hand are shoals, on every hand masses of seaweed from the depths, and over them the light foam of the waves washes without noise. And there is a stretch of land to the dim horizon, and there moveth nothing that creeps or flies. Here, accordingly, the flood tide, for this tide often retreats from the land, and bursts back again over the beach, coming on with a rush and roar, thrust them suddenly on to the innermost shore, and but little of the keel was left in the water. And they leapt forth from the ship, and sorrow seized them, when they gazed on the mist and the levels of vast land stretching far like a mist and continuous into the distance. No spot for water, no path, no steading of herdsmen did they descry afar off, but all the scene was possessed by a dead calm. And thus did one hero, vexed in spirit, ask another, What land is this? Whither has the tempest hurled us? Would that, reckless of deadly fear, we had dared to rush on by that same path between the clashing rocks, Better were it to have overleapt the will of Zeus, and perished in venturing some mighty deed. But now what should we do, held back by the winds to stay here, if ever so short a time? How desolate looms before us the edge of the limitless land! Thus one spake, and among them Anseus, the helmsman, in despair at their evil case, spoke with grieving heart. Verily, we are undone by a terrible doom. There is no escape from ruin. We must suffer the cruelest woes, having fallen on this desolation, even though breezes should blow from the land. For, as I gaze far around, on every side do I behold a sea of shoals and masses of water, fretted line upon line, run over the hoary sand. And miserably, long ago, would our sacred ship have been shattered far from the shore, but the tide itself bore her high on to the land from the deep sea. But now the tide rushes back to the sea, and only the foam, whereupon no ship can sail, rolls round us, just covering the land. Wherefore I deem that all hope of our voyage and of our return is cut off. Let someone else show his skill." Let him sit at the helm, the man that is eager for our deliverance. For Zeus has no will to fulfill our day of return, after our toils. Thus he spake with tears, and all of them that had knowledge of ships agreed thereto. 
but the hearts of all grew numb, and pallor overspread their cheeks, and as, like lifeless spectres, men roamed through a city awaiting the issue of war or of pestilence, or some mighty storm which overwhelms the countless labours of oxen, when the images of their own accord sweat and run down with blood, and bellowings are heard in temples, or when at midday the sun draws on night from heaven, and the stars shine clear through the mist. So at that time along the endless strand the chieftains wandered, groping their way. Then straightway dark evening came upon them, and piteously did they embrace each other and say, Farewell with tears, that they might, each apart from his fellow, fall on the sand and die. And this way and that, they went further to choose a resting place, and they wrapped their heads in their cloaks, and, fasting and unfed, lay down all that night and the day, awaiting a piteous death. But apart the maidens huddled together, lamented beside the daughter of Aetis, and as when, forsaken by their mother, unfledged birds that have fallen from a cleft in the rock chirp shrilly, or when by the banks of fair-flowing Pactolus swans raise their song, and all around the dewy meadow echoes and the river's fair stream, so these maidens, laying in the dust their golden hair all through the night, wail their piteous lament, and there all would have parted from life without a name and unknown to mortal men, thou bravest of heroes, with their task unfulfilled. But as they pined in despair, the heroine nymphs, the warders of Libya, had pity on them. They who once found Athena, what time she leapt in gleaming armour from her father's head, and bathed her by Trito's waters. It was noontide, and the fiercest rays of the sun were scorching Libya. They stood by Aeson's son, and lightly drew the cloak from his head. And the hero cast down his eyes and looked aside, in reverence for the goddesses. And as he lay bewildered all alone, they addressed him openly with gentle words. Ill-starred one, why art thou so smitten with despair? We know how ye went in quest of the golden fleece. We know each toil of yours, all the mighty deeds ye wrought in your wanderings over land and sea. We are the solitary ones goddesses of the land, speaking with human voice, the heroines, Libya's warders and daughters. Up then, be not thus afflicted in thy misery, and rouse thy comrades. And when Amphitrite has straightway loosed Poseidon's swift-wheeled car, then do ye pay to your mother a recompense for all her travail, when she bear you so long in her womb, and so ye may return to the divine land of Achaia. Thus they spake, and with the voice vanished at once where they stood. But Jason sat upon the earth as he gazed around, and thus cried, Be gracious, noble goddesses of the desert, yet the saying about our return I understand not clearly. Surely I will gather together my comrades and tell them, if haply we can find some token of our escape, for the counsel of many is better. He spake, and leapt to his feet, and shouted afar to his comrades, all squalid with dust, like a lion when he roars through the woodland seeking his mate. And far off in the mountains the glens tremble at the thunder of his voice, and the oxen of the field and the herdsmen shudder with fear. 
Yet to them Jason's voice was no whit terrible, the voice of a comrade calling to his friends. And with looks downcast they gathered near, and hard by where the ship lay he made them sit down in their grief, and the women with them, and addressed them and told them everything. Listen, friends, as I lay in my grief, three goddesses girded with goatskins from the neck downwards, round the back and waist like maidens, stood over my head nigh at hand, and they uncovered me, drawing my cloak away with light hand, and they bade me rise up myself and go and rouse you, and pay to our mother a bounteous recompense for all her travail when she bear us so long in her womb, when Amphitrite shall have loosed Poseidon's swift-wheeled car. But I cannot fully understand concerning this divine message. They said, indeed, that they were heroines, Libya's warders and daughters, and all the toils that we endure aforetime by land and sea, all these they declared that they knew full well. Then I saw them no more in their place, but a mist or cloud came between and hid them from my sight. Thus he spake, and all marvelled as they heard. Then was wrought from the Minii, the strangers of potence. From the sea to the land leapt forth a monstrous horse, of vast size, with golden mane tossing round his neck and quickly from his limbs he shook off abundant spray, and started on his course with feet like the wind. And at once Peleus rejoiced and spake among the throng of his comrades, I deem that Poseidon's year has even now been loosed by the hands of his dear wife, and I divine that our mother is none else than our ship herself. For surely she bears in her womb and groans unceasingly with grievous travailing, but with unshaken strength and untiring shoulders will we lift her up and bear her within this country of sandy wastes, where yon swift-footed steed has sped before. For he will not plunge beneath the earth, and his hoof-prints, I ween, will point us to some bay above the sea. Thus he spake, and the fit counsel pleased all. This is the tale the muses told, and I sing obedient to the Pyrides, and this report have I heard most truly, that ye, O mightiest far of the sons of kings, by your might and your valour over the desert sands of Libya, raised high aloft on your shoulders the ship and all that ye brought herein, and bear her twelve days and nights alike. Yet who could tell the pain and grief which they endured in that toil? Surely they were of the blood of the immortals." Such a task did they take on them, constrained by necessity. How forward and how far they bore her gladly to the waters of the Tritonian lake! How they strode in and set her down from their stalwart shoulders! Then, like raging hounds, they rushed to search for a spring. For besides their suffering and anguish, a parching thirst lay upon them. And not in vain did they wander, but they came to the sacred place where Ladon, the serpent of the land, till yesterday kept watch over the golden apples in the garden of Atlas, and all around the nymphs, the Hesperides, were busied, chanting their lovely song. But at that time, stricken by Heracles, he lay fallen by the trunk of the apple tree. Only the tip of his tail was still writhing, but from his head down his dark spine he lay lifeless, and where the arrows had left in his blood the bitter gall of the Lernaean hydra, 
flies withered and died over the festering wounds. And close at hand the Hersperides, their white arms flung over their golden heads, lamented shrilly, and the heroes drew near suddenly. But the maidens, at their quick approach, at once became dust and earth where they stood. Orpheus marked the divine portent, and for his comrades addressed them in prayer. O divine ones, fair and kind, be gracious, O queens, whether ye be numbered among the heavenly goddesses, or those beneath the earth, or be called the solitary nymphs. Come, O nymphs, sacred race of Oceanus, appear manifest to our longing eyes, and show us some spring of water from the rock, or some sacred flow gushing from the earth, goddesses, wherewith we may quench the thirst that burns us unceasingly. And if ever again we return in our voyaging to the Achaean land, then to you among the first of goddesses with willing hearts will we bring countless gifts, libations, and banquets. So he spake, beseeching them with plaintive voice, and they from their station near pitied their pain. And lo, first of all they caused grass to spring from the earth, and above the grass rose up tall shoots, and then flourishing saplings grew standing upright far above the earth. Hersbury became a poplar, and Erytheus an elm, an eagle, a willow's sacred trunk, and forth from these trees their forms looked out as clear as they were before, a marvel exceeding great. An eagle spake with gentle words answering their longing looks. Surely, there has come hither a mighty succour to your toils, that most accursed man, who robbed our guardian serpent of life, and plucked the golden apples of the goddesses, and is gone, and has left bitter grief for us. For yesterday came a man most fell in wanton violence, most grim in form, and his eyes flashed beneath his scowling brow, a ruthless wretch, and he was clad in the skin of a monstrous lion of rawhide untanned, and he bare a sturdy bough of olive, and a bow, wherewith he shot and killed this monster here. So he too came, as one traversing the land on foot, parched with thirst, and he rushed wildly through the spot, searching for water. But nowhere was he like to see it. Now here stood a rock near the Tritonian lake, and of his own device, or by the prompting of some god, he smote it below with his foot, and the water gushed out in full flow, and he, leaning both his hands and chest upon the ground, drank a huge draught from the rifted rock, until, stooping like a beast of the field, he had satisfied his mighty maw. Thus she spake, and they, gladly with joyful steps, ran to the spot where Aegil had pointed out to them the spring, until they reached it. And as when earth-burrowing ants gather in swamps round a narrow cleft, or when flies lighting upon a tiny drop of sweet honey, cluster round with insatiate eagerness, so at that time, huddled together, the minii thronged about the spring from the rock, and thus with wet lips one cried to another in his delight. Strange! In very truth Heracles, though far away, has saved his comrades, for done with thirst. Would that we might find him on his way as we pass through the mainland. So they spake, and those who were ready for this work answered, and they separated this way and that, each starting to search. 
for by the night winds the footsteps had been effaced where the sand was stirred. The two sons of Boreas started up, trusting in their wings, and Euphemus relying on swift feet, and Lynceus to cast far his piercing eyes, and with them darted off Canthus, the fifth. He was urged on by the doom of the gods and his own courage, that he might learn for certain from Heracles where he had left Polyphemus, son of Alatus, for he was minded to question him on every point concerning his comrade. But that hero had founded a glorious city among the Mycians, and yearning for his home return, had passed far over the mainland in search of Argo, and in time he reached the land of the Chalabes, who dwell near the sea. There it was that his fate subdued him, and to him a monument stands under a tall poplar, just facing the sea. But that day Lynceus thought he heard Heracles all alone, far off, over measureless land, as a man at the month's beginning sees, or thinks he sees, the moon through a blank of cloud. And he returned and told his comrades that no other searcher would find Heracles on his way. And they also came back, and swift-footed Euphemus and the twin sons of Thracian Boreas, after a vain toil. End of section 18 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama.